The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1. Book 5, The Third Estate, Chapter 8, Conquering Your King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 5, Chapter 8, Conquering Your King. On the morrow, a fourth deputation to the chateau is on foot, of a more solemn, not to say awful, character. For, besides orgies on the orangery, it seems the grain convoys are all stopped, nor has Mirabeau's thunder been silent. Such deputation is on the point of setting out, when, lo, his majesty himself, attended only by his two brothers, step in, quite in the paternal manner, announces that the troops and all causes of offence are gone, and henceforth there shall be nothing but trust, reconcilement, goodwill, whereof he permits and even requests a national assembly to assure Paris in his name. Acclamation, as of men suddenly delivered from death, gives answer. The whole assembly spontaneously rises to escort his majesty back, interlacing their arms to keep off the excessive pressure from him, for all Versailles is crowding and shouting. The chateau musicians, with a felicitous promptitude, strike up the Seine de sa famille, bosom of one's family. The queen appears at the balcony with her little boy and girl, kissing them several times. Infinite vivats spread far and wide, and suddenly there has come, as it were, a new heaven on earth. Eighty-eight august senators, Bailly, Lafayette, and our repentant archbishop among them, take coach for Paris, with the great intelligence, benedictions without end on their heads. From the Place Louis Cairns, where they alight all the way to the Hôtel de Ville, it is one sea of tricolour cockades, of clear national muskets, one tempest of huzzahings, hand-clappings, aided by occasional rollings of drum music. Harangues of due fervour are delivered, especially by Lally Tollendal, pious son of the ill-fated murdered Lally, on whose head, in consequence, a civic crown of oak or parsley is forced, which he forcibly transfers to Baiz. But surely, for one thing, the National Guard must have a general. Moreau de Saint-Marie, he of the three thousand orders, casts one of his significant glances on the bust of Lafayette, which has stood there ever since the American War of Liberty, whereupon, by acclamation, Lafayette is nominated. Again, in room of the slain traitor or quasi-traitor Flazel, President Bailly shall be mm, provost of the merchants? No, mayor of Paris, so be it, mayor de Paris. Mayor Bailly, General Lafayette, vive Bailly, vive Lafayette. The universal out-of-doors multitude rends the welcome in confirmation. And now, finally, let us to Notre Dame for a tedium. Towards Notre Dame Cathedral, in glad procession, these regenerators of the country walk through a jubilant people in fraternal manner, Abbe Lefebvre, still black with his gunpowder services, walking arm in arm with the white-stoled archbishop. Poor Bailly comes upon the foundling children, sent to kneel to him, and weeps. Tidium, our archbishop officiating, is not only sung, but shot with blank cartridges. Our joy is boundless, as our woe threatened to be. Paris, by her own pike and musket and the valour of her own heart, has conquered the very war-gods to the satisfaction now of majesty itself. 
A courier is, this night, getting under way for Necker, the people's minister, invited back by the king, by national assembly and nation, shall traverse France amid shoutings and the sound of trumpet and timbrel. Seeing which course of things, messieurs of the court triumvirate, messieurs of the dead-born Brolier ministry, and others such, consider that their part also is clear, to mount and ride. Off, ye two loyal Brolliers, Polignacs, and princes of the blood, off while it is yet time. Did not the Palais Royal, in its late nocturnal violent motions, set a specific price, place of payment not mentioned, on each of your heads? With precautions, with the aid of pieces of cannon and regiments that can be depended on, messieurs, between the sixteenth night and the seventeenth morning, get to their several roads, not without risk. Prince Condé has, or seems to have, men galloping at full speed, with a view, it is thought, to fling him into the river Oise at Pont saint mayence The Polignacs travel disguised, friends, not servants, on their coach-box. Brolier has his own difficulties at Versailles, runs his own risks at Metz and Verdun, does nevertheless get safe to Luxembourg, and there rests. This is what they call the first emigration, determined on, as appears, in full court conclave, his majesty assisting. Prompt he, for his share of it, to follow any counsel whatsoever. Three sons of France and four princes of the blood of St. Louis, says Weber, could not more effectually humble the burghers of Paris than by appearing to withdraw in fear of their life. Alas, the burghers of Paris bear it with unexpected stoicism. The man d'Artois, indeed, is gone, but has he carried, for example, the land d'Artois with him? Not even Bagatelle, the country house, which shall be useful as a tavern. Hardly the four valet breeches, leaving the breeches maker. As for old Foulon, one learns that he is dead. At least a sumptuous funeral is going on, the undertakers honouring him, if no other will. Antendon Bertier, his son-in-law, is still living, lurking. He joined Bessonval on that Eumenides Sunday, appearing to treat it with levity, and has now fled no man knows whither. The emigration is not gone many miles, Prince Condé hardly across the Oise, when His Majesty, according to arrangement, for the emigration also thought it might do good, undertakes a rather daring enterprise, that of visiting Paris in person. With a hundred members of assembly, with small or no military escort, which indeed he dismissed at the bridge of Sèvres, poor Louis sets out, leaving a desolate palace, a queen weeping, the present, the past and the future all so unfriendly for her. At the barrier of Passy, Mayor Bailly and Grand Gala presents him with the keys, harangues him in academic style, mentions that it is a great day, that in Henri Quatre's case the king had to make conquest of his people, but in this happier case the people makes conquest of its king. A conquis son roi. The king, so happily conquered, drives forward slowly through a steel people, all silent or shouting only, Viva la nation! is harangued at the town hall by Moreau of the Three Thousand Orders, by King's procureur, Monsieur Ethi de Corny, by Lally Tonandal and others, knows not what to think of it or say of it, learns that he is restorer of French liberty, as a statue of him to be raised on the site of the Bastille shall testify to all men. 
Finally, he is shown at the balcony with a trickler cockade in his hat, is greeted now with vehement acclamation from square and street, from all windows and roofs, and so drives home again amid glad, mingled and, as it were, intermarried shouts of Vive le Roi and Vive la Nation, wearied but safe. It was Sunday when the red-hot balls hung over us in mid-air. It is now but Friday, and the revolution is sanctioned. An august national assembly shall make the constitution, and neither foreign pandour, domestic triumvirate with levelled cannon, Guy Fawkes powder plots, for that too was spoken of, nor any tyrannic power on the earth or under the earth shall say to it, What dost thou? So jubilates the people, sure now of a constitution. Cracked Marquis Saint-Durouge is heard under the windows of the chateau, murmuring sheer speculative treason. End of Book 5, Chapter 8